Hello and welcome to. <laughs> do you remember when it was really hard to do yeah. the intro? <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Massive Attack Podcast 2017, the start of our new format which is A to Z of the Massive Attack podcast, and we are starting with the letter A, which is where the alphabet starts. Which is a good place to start. To start, and that person talking is my co-host, which doesn't start with an A, which just starts with a J, which is Joe. But you start with an A. I do, but no one knows Mitch. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, we discussed in the last podcast, if this is your first, we'll just do a quick rundown of what we're doing. We are now, for this year, at least, is the 2017... 2017 Massive Attack A to Z. So each episode will be represented by a letter. This one is A, and we are throwing random topics at ourselves to talk about. And with this one, A, we are talking about Atari which is Joe's suggestion. We were busting our balls trying to come up with a, a topic idea, and when you said that, it was like, of course. Yeah. Of course. Why, why do we even think about anything else? But well, yes. we tossed up the idea of talking about the A-Team. Yes. Which could have been quite a good one for A. Yeah. But then Atari is in our wheelhouses, really. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but for me, having the Atari when I was a teenager was my first real foray into having a decent video game system. I had, like, an Intellivision, ColecoVision type knockoff that had Pong yep. and hockey, which was Pong with Walls. Yep. But the fact that the Atari came out and you could have different games on different cartridges and you could play what you wanted to play was just a game changer for me. Yeah. Well, I never had an Atari, but I did have a ColecoVision with the Atari 2600 attachment mm. so I could play ColecoVision games, which are far superior to Atari games, but you could play any Atari game on it as well. So, But the controllers were a bit naff. They were the knobs. Like <laughs> it, was, it was a big controller with a number pad on it. It had two buttons, so obviously one was redundant when it came to Atari games. But it had a, a flat disc sort of thing. And when you played Decathlon, it was painful. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I did have my fair share of Atari games, but I never actually had an Atari system. Just All right. So, full clarification there. A bit of history about Atari, the company. They'd been around for quite a while. They were making arcade. Coin-ups. Yeah, yeah, arcade coin ups. They were famous for quite a few arcade cabinets. And then in 1977, they released their first home console. Which was the Atari 2600? No. It, it pretty much was the Atari 2600, but it wasn't actually called the 2600 until 1982. Oh, okay. Because at that stage in 82, they were releasing the Atari 5200, and yep. they decided to rename the original the 2600 because that was its part number. Yep. So what most people will remember as being an Atari, the old big wood grain cabinet with the switches on the front, is basically the Atari 2600. So most people, as I said, would remember that as being the Atari. There was a couple of other iterations of that wood grain one. They, they released a, a black wood grain one rather than just plain old boring wood coloured wood grain. Yeah. And they released another version that only had the four switches on the front that had the difficulty switches on the back. And then they also released, later on in 1986, unofficially dubbed as the 2600 Junior, which is what I had when I was a kid, which was the one that was kind of slimmer and didn't have the wood grain. It was just like... Silver a, bit, wasn't it? Yeah, metal panel with a silver line with yeah. like a little rainbow on it. But that still played the same 2600 cartridges. 
Yeah, I, I can remember getting the 2600 when I was a kid. I thought I got it earlier than I did, but going back and looking at the photo of me in my tartan pyjamas at Christmas morning, unwrapping my package with uh, my mum sitting in the background smoking a cigarette, <laughs> reminded me how different the 80s was. But I, I was able to ascertain based on the background and which house I was in at that time that it was probably Christmas 86 that I got my first Atari. Prior to that, I had played a lot of Atari at friends' houses on sleepovers and stuff like that. So I was no stranger to the Atari when I got it. But for me, yeah, as I said, it, it was it was the game changer. It was what cemented me as being, yeah, I'm going to be a gamer. Well, I suppose Atari, they did the coin ops first. So you had arcades and yeah. you went there and you put your 20 cents in or whatever it was, quarter. And how do we how do we take this home? So they made the home computer system and they had to port the games down. Now, obviously, whatever the, the 2600 capabilities were versus an arcade cabinet was a lot less. Oh, so definitely. the ports were nowhere near as good graphically and things like that. But I think when I started playing it, it's not like I was going to penny arcades anyway. So it's not like I didn't know the difference. You know, you might get the old Galaga machine or Pac-Man at a fish and chip shop or something, and you could compare the difference. And I think, yeah, even visually now, if you go and have a look on YouTube and see, like, an arcade version of Pac-Man and the Atari 2600 version of Pac-Man, there is a big difference. Oh, there's a vast difference. But I didn't care. I'm sitting at home in my lounge room playing it probably on a black and white telly when I first got it. If I been, yeah. But it was fascinating because we watched the documentary Atari Game Over, which was made by Microsoft at the time yep. for the Xbox. There's a famous story going around that there are two million copies of the E.T. game for the Atari 2600 in landfill somewhere in New Mexico. The reason, the, the folklore around it is it was the worst game ever made. They made all these games for it. It was so bad, they threw it into landfill and it pretty much sunk Atari. That's the, the folklore around it. So the is not bad because it sort of talks about the build-up of, of Atari as a company and the crash, what they call a computer game crash of 1983. Yep. Which I knew nothing about. Yeah, I, I really liked the doco based on the fact that I thought it was just going to be about the excavation of the cartridges. Yep. But it, it was kind of like two films in one. In, in a way, it was almost kind of three films in one because they had the, the road story of people getting to mm. New Mexico. But they had the backstory of how Atari came to be. And they were lo- massive. They grew ridiculously. Like They were the small company doing the arcade games. They ended up selling themselves to Time Warner yep. for a stupid amount of money. Yeah. But they made their money back. Don't, don't you worry. They were selling billions of dollars worth of consoles and games. I can't remember the exact year, but one year in that sort of late 70s, early 80s, they made $380 million profit in one year. Mm. So for that time, that was massive. Yeah, so that was huge, and there was no competitor out there. No. I think, like you talked to the Intellivision, I think, had something similar. Yeah. And they they equate the E.T. game as being the worst game ever, and that's what crashed them. Now, the story with the E.T. game is amazing. You actually meet the guy who designed it. Now, he, he made a lot, Yars Revenge, and a few few other games. They were all million sellers. Yep. All the games he made. So he was the Wunderkind, he was the rock star of designers. Yeah, he was like the head designer, head programmer of yeah. Atari. And they said, can you make an E.T. game for us in seven weeks? And it's like, yeah, okay. And he did. He made a game in seven weeks. He didn't stop. And you talk to some game purists out there and they're saying, it's not that bad. You know, if you go and play it properly, if you play it properly. I've seen, there's YouTube clips out there of people playing it and it does look like a mess. Like you just walk along and all of a sudden you fall in a hole and strange stuff going on. So I 
I guess if you know these games, and you've got to really want to play retro games yeah. to appreciate this. You throw any person who didn't grow up with Atari this game and say, play it, of course you're going to think it's shit. Yeah. Even it, good games, you're going to think it's shit. You're it, going to give them River Raid or something. Well, it's very boxy, mm. and E.T. doesn't really look like E.T. on screen. And the fact that it is that era, I don't even know how many bit it was back in those days. It was the 8-bit era? I think it before, may have been yeah. before that. But it's very much a 2D box of a screen with pixelated E.T. wandering across the screen. And what he did, conceptually, he tried to make a 3D game yeah. by having screens to represent the three dimensions, but it didn't work. It couldn't do it. The processing power ran it. So, for something that he turned down that time, he didn't do too bad. Mm. But it doesn't make sense to watch. You watch it, it's not intuitive like no. other games, and I think that was a problem with it. And they had a return policy on this game. So, this was a huge seller. I think it was a Christmas period game that came out. And it was a massive seller, but they returned. A lot of people said, this is terrible, I'm returning it. So a lot of games got returned. And it was around the same time that Atari went bust. Because, like you said, there was different iterations of the Atari console. They went the 5200, which was better, but they had bugger all games. It wasn't backwards compatible. You couldn't play 2600 games in it. So there was... You know, so everyone had that. And also, there was no control over who could make third-party games. Yeah. So the market was full of shit games that they had no control over. Yeah, and I think later, towards mid-83, there was a lot of Atari clones out there as well. There was... I know the Sears catalogue had, like, their own Sears-branded-type clone. Yeah. And there was a... Well, you said a ColecoVision-type clone that could play the Atari cartridges. And, yeah, there was just masses and masses of amounts of games that were... no quality control. Yeah. They they were games that just got rushed out that weren't that good, but people were kind of buying them anyway because it was Atari and they were the known name. But then when they were getting them home and playing them, they were like, well... You know, this mm. isn't great. So, yeah, there just came to be warehouses full of old stock yep. and return stock. And the business went to shit in the end and Times Warner stuff basically wanted out. So they sold the company out. So it literally was a crash, like a oh, stock market yeah. crash. Yeah. It, it just died. It wasn't a slow death. It was like, boom, within a year. But this is a strange thing for me. So I'm watching this doco and they're talking about 1983 when all this happened. I was thinking, when did I get mine? Yeah. Because I thought, no, I was in primary school and we were playing it in high school. I remember that. So 86, I was in high school. So I played at least till 88. And I'm thinking, am I not thinking right? But because I remember there was a games shop in Greensboro shopping center that I went to and games were like $80 back then. Yeah, they were expensive. So, I mean, I don't know what that's comparative to now. Well, I don't know, but I've got a, a figure that I got off Wikipedia is when the original 2600 was released in 82, it sold for $199 US, yep. which they say is the equivalent of about $786 of US money in 2016 money. So, so the PlayStation 2. Yeah, yeah. Or, or an Xbox One or yeah. probably a little, even a bit more than that. But it was quite a pricey unit when it came out. But then when they released the Atari Junior, that was around the sort of $100 mark. So it was more slimline. But by that stage, obviously the crash had happened and they were just sort of trying to get back on their feet. Yeah, so we obviously got ours after the crash. Oh, for sure. But there was still a market as far as I know because I was still buying games yeah. up until later. I, I can remember getting my console... And having a couple of probably shitty games with it that, that weren't that good. But I think I had Phoenix. Mm. And I remember I've been playing Phoenix in the arcades. Or, or when I say arcades, I've been playing Phoenix in the Milk Bar. Yep. And really enjoying that. Delhi for any South Australian listeners. Yeah. And then knowing that, yeah, now I've got this game that I can play at home. And it was it was not a great port, but it was still pretty good. But here in Australia, I, I don't know about where you were living here in Victoria. But in that sort of early 80s, I was living in coastal New South Wales. And we 
didn't have arcades as such. I know our local cinema had like one room at the front that had, you know, half a dozen pinball machines and a couple of arcade cabinets. And it wasn't something that I would go to the arcade to have a game. But if I was going to the movies, I'd, you know, Yeah, well, um, like the the bowling alley had a section of cinemas. I I remember back in the day, so around 87, 88, we would go to the city, see a movie and go to the pinnies. That was what we'd say. We'd go to the pinnies. And it was literally to go to, there was a bunch of arcades in the city and we'd play all the different games. And these are much more advanced games than the Atari 2600 was. But that was the alternative. Like, at home, we'd play Atari games. In the city, you'd play, like, Space Harrier and things like Hmm. that, I remember. I I can definitely remember playing Space Invaders in a stand-up machine. Yep. I can remember playing Pac-Man on the old sit-down cocktail cabinets. And I can remember the milk bar next to my school had Galaga and it had Phoenix and it had, I think it was Wonder Boy might have been, the one where you're the the kid on the... Paperboy? No, not Paperboy. It was like a kid in a hang glider. And you had to like go down a hill and miss things and stuff. But just the simplicity of the games that were around then kind of is comparable to what was on the Atari. But then as arcade games got better, the Atari didn't really keep, keep up, up with it. But by the but didn't make sense to me. But now if the crash happened three years earlier, mm. of course, like as a backwater in Australia, we probably didn't get, took a while. Because I know in South America, only a couple of years ago, they stopped making PlayStation 2. Mm. So they're, they're a whole generation and a half behind mm. down there. So we were probably that backwards place where they dumped a lot of stuff on us. But one of the problems with Atari was you had Atari official games and there was these third parties making crap copies or crap games. Now, that were cheaper because I remember there was a, there was some classic games. You know, River Raid is probably the but famous one. I, I think the thing was that there was good third party companies such as Activision that yep. made River Raid, Pitfall, Decathlon, I think was and if you look at as well. you look at the boxes and you saw Atari logo or you saw Activision, it was quality. Yeah. Because um, there was a game I remember called Keystone Cops or Keystone Capers. Now, that was great. Now, what you were playing, you were a cop and you'd run on, it was the three-leveled maze, essentially, left to right running and you had to chase after a, a big a robber. So, he'd go up and down escalators and you had to chase him and catch him, essentially. That was a great game, but it was an Activision game. So, we're talking $70, $80 from memory. I had these cheapo versions and it was a robot chasing another robot. Exactly the same gameplay. It was awesome. That was okay. But yeah, I mean, I don't know how that affected Atari or whatever. And, and by the time it came around to us, well, I'm probably 1986, 87 when I'm doing this. Hmm. It's not long between other games coming out. That's why it was really weird watching this, trying to work out the timeline in my head because the Nintendo Entertainment System is not far behind. No, I, I think the, the Nintendo must have been 88, 89. Because the jump is amazing. I, I can remember Obviously, I, I got this when I was in sort of mid to late high school. I can remember when I was in year 11 going to a friend's house and playing Mario. So that was probably only a couple of years later. And just the difference between playing you know, Mario on the Nintendo to playing, say, even Pitfall yep. or something like that on the Atari. It's worlds apart. Interesting, though, I, I'm not sure how well some of these games hold up if you go back and play them now. But I know you've mentioned quite a lot of times that you're not a huge fan of the repetitiveness of playing a game just to see if you can get better better at it you'd like the real narrative yes and i'd say probably 90 percent of atari games are just the do the same thing how far can you go can you get to the end like pitfall is a classic example of a game that you just run until you run out of time there's no real story or narrative to it 
When I go to a game, if you say, what's the best game on the Atari? I would say River Raid. Yeah. But that is essentially a endless runner. Yeah, it, it is. It is tempo run. Yeah. Like, you are going forward. You can't... Or you can turn around, can't you? But no, you can't turn around. You no. can slow down. And that's it. But you're so, constantly yeah. going forward, and you run into things, you get shot, you run out of petrol. Yeah, it's an but endless yeah, runner. And I love that game, but I could not... We actually went to a friend of the show, Joel McMullen's place, and he got a Raspberry Pi, which is an yeah. emulator machine, which you, it's got everything from Atari up to... Mega Drive and Super Nintendo or something. And we played some old Atari games on there. And yeah, River Raid still is better for those games. But man, it's not... I can't do it anymore. See, I My can. Brain I, I, can I can quite easily sit down and just, you know, nut out a few rounds of River Raid and go, all right, let's see how far I can get. And, you know, let's see if my score can be better. But then, as a kid, River Raid was by far my favourite game. Like, I know that I didn't get River Raid originally when I got my Atari, but, you know, I saved up as much pocket money as I could and I got River Raid. Because I think, yeah, my launch titles for me when I bought it I, I can't remember what it was called but it was a, a game with like a maze similar to a pong screen so a sort of you know rectangular maze with a couple of obstacles in the middle and two cars that were just pixels with wheels on the sides of it and you one car started on one side of the map and the other car started on the other and you had to try and reach the other one before they reached you I can't even remember what it was called but at the time it was you know probably already a couple of years old but you know I, I hadn't got anything better so I loved it mm. And the other game for me was Championship Wrestler, I think it was called, or Tag Team Wrestler, maybe it was called. I had a wrestling game, and they were unrecognisable as humans. They were just sticks with arms or something, and yeah, and and you would jump in the ring and body slam each other and punch each other, and that's all you did. But, you know, have have a couple of your school friends around and just punch each other. It's fine. So going back now, I'd say my favourite game would be Decathlon, though. Because it's not an endless runner. There is an end. Like, you are doing shot put, you're doing... Or discus or whatever. You're doing high jump. So, you're you're trying to do better each time. So, it's more like a Trials HD sort of game. Where... Yeah. And you're running... And, oh, the amount of blisters I got playing that game. And, and the amount it. of broken joysticks. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I had yeah. it as well. And I can remember having the official Atari joysticks, which was just the, the square with the stick. Yeah. And then I, I'd gone out and I'd bought, I think Dick Smith's or someone like that had the, you know, Mad Cats or whatever the, the equivalent was in those days of the, the other joystick. And I had one that was more of a, like a flight stick. I had one of those, The big yes. trigger sort of thing. And, and the I button on remember, the top yeah, and the side, if you I, I can remember breaking... Did it have suction cups on the bottom? It did. Which is handy for the cathode. Yeah, yeah. I, but I can remember breaking a couple of joysticks yes. with the 1500 metre marathon or whatever mm-hmm. it was at the end of decathlon. Yep. Especially that last little bit at the end where you, you have to keep up the pace just sort of slow backwards and forwards on the joystick until you get to about the last 100 metres and then yeah, you just have to run like hell. It's good wanking practice, I think it was for <laughs> a lot of kids back then. I don't know about you, but I, I didn't wank side to side like that when I was a teenager. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> doing it wrong. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes, longevity. Anyway. Oh, that one. You, I thought you meant the uh, the motion, Technique. not the. Well, you know, good to mix it up every now and then. Yeah. So decathlon, I think, for that with your friends, you know, not wanking with your friends, but <laughs> playing that sort of game because it is that who can do better kind of thing. Where if something like River Raid, you get someone who's really good at it, they might play for five ten minutes. Then you go in there and you fuck up in the first thirty seconds. Then you hand the control to the next guy and he's there for another five minutes again. Not as much fun. <laughs> where yeah, that finite length or whatever with decathlon is probably my favourite from memory. That's the best memory. But it's funny, watching the doco, they had a bunch of cartridges just all there. And I was trying to read all the names, seeing if there's any I remembered for myself. But there was one, it was an orange cartridge. It stood out because all the others were black. And it was Threshold. And it's a game I actually had. I don't it was a... Yeah. 
Uh, it's not as it's, it's a bit like asteroids or whatever, where you're you fly around the space shooting aliens that are coming at you. And I went and actually went to YouTube to have a look at see what I remember. And it's like I vaguely remember, but I don't remember being that shit. But mm. by comparison, it was pretty damn good. But just throwing some more figures out there that I've got off Wikipedia as well. So apparently, the Atari Twenty Six Hundred sold thirty million units. Wow! So it was the highest selling US console for a long time until it got beaten by the Xbox Three Sixty, which I think sold 84 million units. Really? Yeah. So it it was a a real heavy hitter for a long time. Mm. So they were making first-party cartridges up until 1990, and they were making third-party cartridges up until officially 1992. Well, that makes sense, though. So it's still going when we were there. But there there was unofficial ones released as late as 2004, which I think were games that were in design back in the 90s that didn't get released until... I've heard there was one even more recently, but it was a gimmick, whereas someone made a game based on a modern game, and they did like a limited edition of 50 or something in the cartridge for that, just to be hipster wanker. They were doing homebrew-type stuff up until, I think, 2014. It might have even been a Borderlands one that they did as a as a cartridge. Maybe. It was just, I do remember a modern game or Halo or something yeah. where they did a, an Atari version of it. So apparently the biggest selling games on Atari over the years, Pac-Man's by far the biggest selling. Pitfall, I think, was the second biggest. And I think on the list that I was looking at, River Raid was the 22nd most really? selling. Space Invaders, I thought, would have been huge because I thought that was the one it came with the most. So does that count? I, I think the original pack-in was Pong and then later on it was Pac-Man. Because I don't remember it 78. I, I was too young. No. I don't know when it became big in Australia, but it was definitely way later than that. Oh, it was it, in the eighties. It was big. I can remember probably about eighty four that I I think played it for the first time because yep. at that stage I was would have been in year seven, and I can remember going to a sleepover at a friend's house, and it was kind of like, oh wow, you've got an Atari, you, you know. You I actually remember the episodes of Sons and Daughters. I don't know if you remember that show. <laughs> and Pat the guy who's playing Paul Robinson now, he was in that. Stephen Dennis. Yeah, and he came over with an Atari box. And it was an adult thing to do. Like, they were the young 20-somethings. Mm. And he bought over the Atari going, oh, look what I've got. Cool. And they're all sitting around playing it in this episode. I, and I, I looked at that going, that's the coolest thing ever. But, mm. yeah. Well, getting back to the doco and the whole adultness of it, they were talking about how they were the original Silicon Valley rock stars. Yep. And it kind of took me out of it a little bit. And I was watching it on my iPad in bed and I turned around to my wife and went, oh, this doco's just raped my childhood. Because they talk about how they were all just smoking weed and going out and buying lots of alcohol and just getting absolutely trashed and making these cartridges and like designing the games and stuff and I was like well I was a teenager or you know a kid playing these things that I thought was a kid's game but really the people making them were living this debaucherous lifestyle and I think they even said in the doco as well there was one room in the building that they were in that had a hot tub in and they they you know had these hot tub parties but they were they were living that sort of rock star Silicon Valley lifestyle until the bust well it was making money hand over fist yeah and they were they were they were pretty much just releasing anything there was probably uh, about a 50-50 split with what was going to be a, a coin op arcade port and what was was new stuff and uh, I forget what the is it Howard Howard Warsaw the guy that created ET that was also the designer on Yars Revenge yep. and he was talking about how he made Yars Revenge and how he came up with the the concept for Yars Revenge and at that stage that was one of the first like new, new titles yeah. and it was a, a million seller with it didn't have a, a point of reference for people to sort of go you know I've played this in the arcades so I want to play it at yep. home this was the new hotness at that stage yep. but yeah I, as I said with the doco it's it's kind of split 
split into three stories in one. So we've got the story of what it was like to work in the Atari in the 80s. We've got a talk of the bust and the fact that they've gone and buried all these cartridges, or allegedly buried all these cartridges, into the New Mexico desert. And then we've got the story of now, where the filmmakers are trying to find the landfill where this is, getting the permission from the, what did they call it, the New Mexico Environmental Department or something, and they have like a little animation with Ed Med or something written on the side of the truck and they're, they're then treating it like a proper archaeological dig where they're you know they're working out how far down they need to dig they need to work out where it should, where it be. should be and they're like well you know there, there might be mercury pigs buried on top of the cartridges so there's stuff that we could you know crack open the concrete that's holding it in and release toxic gas into the world and what do we do but just the fact that they're digging and they're finding newspapers from the 80s and they're like oh you know we're obviously getting pretty close because you know this the is the dates are right the yeah. dates are right and and then you have the other part of the story, which is kind of like a road trip story, where they, they talk to Ernest Klein, who's the writer of Ready Player One, which I actually read last year and really enjoyed. And part of that, that the book is based upon Easter eggs and video games. And, and he's just like this huge video game nerd. So he goes and gets his DeLorean back off George um, R.R. Martin. Martin and drives from Santa Fe, New, uh, Santa Fe, what is it, New Mexico to San Antonio. San Antonio to Santa Fe to pick up his car and then goes down to the desert in New Mexico to, to find his dig. And when they get there, which is the bit I was a bit confused about, is how did all the fans find out that they were doing the dig? Because when they got there, there was just a massive queue. I think <laughs> this is where documentaries can be manipulative. Mm. And the fact that there are all these people waiting to see. So it would have got out. So there would have been locals that would have said they're doing this dig. So you would have locals there to see what all this about because you're in this town of nothing yeah but there are a lot of anoraks there. Oh, for sure. Uh, a lot of neckbeards. Funny you mentioned that because the number plate that Ernest Klein had on his on his DeLorean was anorak. Yep. I, I got to chuck away that. But um, yeah, a lot of neckbeards, a lot of wankers. The guy and, with the curly mustache was the standout yeah. for me. <laughs> so there, it was a very hipster thing, but I, I'm sure they put it out there. It would have been online saying we're going to do this, and it made for a good story. I think, and we're not burying the lead by saying that they actually do find them. It is the landfill. Yeah. So spoilers if you do want to watch the episode, but. They they, they do find it, but they're kind of disappointing in the fact that there's not two million ET cartridges no. buried in the desert. There's a lot. There's a lot, and but there's, there's a lot a of lot other stuff. Because so, it was yeah. during the crash, they just dumped a lot of stock. It wasn't an ET killed this. And that's what this doco was sort of trying to say as well. And I'm sure a lot of things with these docos, if you go out to make a documentary, sometimes you don't know where it's going, and other times you have an idea where you want it to go. Now, I'm sure what he wanted was, we are going to find it, we'll have people there, and it will be the rousing we got one yeah. and it didn't have that feeling see I kind of think it didn't didn't because that's what he wanted I just don't think it, it didn't get the emotional response that I think he was trying well, the, the designer guy was there and it's interesting because he talks about how he really loved being a, a video game designer and then since then he got his real estate license and he did all these other jobs but nothing kind of fulfilled him as much as it did when he was the designer and now he's a, a certified psychologist yep. and he's you know Working counseling, yeah, counseling other people in Silicon Valley and he's like oh this this is the most fulfilled I've been in my working life since yep. the 80s when I worked in Atari yeah. and I think he showed the right amount of emotion when they dug up the well, cartridges well, he's, he's got a right to it yeah exactly they're his baby yeah but I don't know if you noticed but when they were digging them up and they they found that yeah these are the ET cartridges it seemed like a lot of the neckbeards that were there were kind of getting presented with a cartridge I thought they took their own I wasn't sure well, that's I why there might be a fan group of that 
So there were all the people that made the journey to it. To me, I thought maybe there might have been a little bit of so Kickstarter crowdfunding sort of thing going on maybe. there. I, I haven't read Because I know a lot of it, because there were so many copies found. Mm. And then the city of New Mexico, whichever the city that's in... Ella something or other? Yeah, they got like 7,000 copies, mm. which they can sell. Uh, so many thousand went to the Smithsonian Institute, and another thousand happened to something else, and some people got some. So, I'd, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was associated to me, it, I didn't I, read anything there. I, I didn't read into anything into it either but it kind of looked like maybe they were say kickstarter makes sense people that were, were funding the actual dig so they got the it was funded by it. microsoft so i'm not sure the movie i think was funded by microsoft but i don't oh, know the if they, itself, okay. they paid for the dig okay so yeah i don't know but maybe i, I do like the the doco was better than i thought it was going to be mm. it's only 66 minutes too so it's mm. a nice short one and it is on youtube and on you said on netflix yep for a while it was on the microsoft like movie it was store. the first and only microsoft produced movie they were going to make a mini and it died this was the only one they made yeah but now if you want to watch it on the microsoft network you can, but it's $10 to watch. Yeah, but I watched it on YouTube, mm. and it was pretty good quality on YouTube. So if you are interested, it's called Atari Game Rover. I mean, like, the, he was fascinating, the designer of the game. His his story was fascinating. Even Klein, the writer of Ready Player One, he was yeah. interesting too. So there's so many facets of the story that I would have followed, going, oh, I want to see more of him, I want to see more of him. So I'm glad they didn't, because it was a nice punchy doco. But they could have gone in other directions. And even the um, game historian, he seemed fascinating, and we only got little touches of him. There was one dude that was like a... Um, he was at some Boston University or something like that. Yep. I thought he was a bit of a dick. Mm, well, what was his name? Rainer or something or other. I thought he was just a bit too overexcited. Well, he's just probably giving it credibility by going to a professor. But yeah. But yeah, so the the guy that did the design, his name was Howard Warshaw. Yep. Uh, we had Ernest Klein in there. There was um, Zach Penn is the director. And he's written many classics like Inspector Gadget 2. Okay. Yeah. And Fantastic Four. There was also another guy that they talked to, Manny something, Manny Garcia or something, I think his name was, that he was like the old guy with the moustache that they kept... He's one of the owners. He was the original. Yeah, so he was one of the original Atari. Because, yeah, that's the first half of the docker was a lot about the Atari, and they actually talked to the two original creators of the business. So, just reading a little bit more up on this. So, it's Almagorda, New Mexico, was where it was. And apparently, there was meant to be 700,000 games buried, and they found 1,300 of them. So, it's probably not a huge amount for the effort that they went into. They only dig. Well, they only dug in one area. Yeah, and they didn't, but they didn't go. It was only a small hole, if you notice. So, they're not going to dig the whole lot up. It's not like it's their reason to do it. They got out of the small hole they did. So I'm sure there's more in there as far as if you were to excavate the whole area, but there's no point to it. They're not making money by doing this, you know. Exactly. And if you were really keen to play the ET game, I'm sure you could find an emulator that would play it. It's out there if you really want it, and no one wants to play it. Seriously. If you're a retro gamer, you've done this already. Yeah. I've got an Atari emulator on my PC, and I've got about five games, and ET's not one of them. Okay. In fact, Decathlon's not one of them. Uh, I've got River Raid and the Pitfalls, and I'm pretty happy with that. But I- I'm glad I watched it, because I know you watched it, and you're like, you know, if you've got an hour to kill, you should watch this, because I think it will give us a yep. bit of a background. And it did, because, as I said, I was expecting it just to be about... The dig. The dig. And it wasn't. It was a bit of an eye-opening history. And as you said, like, we didn't realise the crash had happened, because when I bought my one, when I got my Atari... Well after it. Yeah, it was well after the crash. It was a good three, four years afterwards. And... Here in Australia, it was like there never was a crash. And they were still producing games, like yeah, you said, exactly. until 1990. But obviously period. in 88 or whatever it was when the Famicom slash NES came out, that changed. 
And you can kind of tell, because I had Pitfall 2, and I've mentioned this a few times on the show, that I played Pitfall 2 a lot. And Pitfall 2 is still very pixelated stick figs, but it's a long way from the original Atari games in the fact that it has a bit of a story and the stick figures have a bit of definition and there is a clear definition between different levels. Like there's, you know, flying levels, there's climbing levels, there's... A the snake. original type pit levels. A crocodile. No, that's it. That's the original pit. Oh, okay. But Pitfall 2, there's bits where you have to climb up ladders on the side of a mountain and condors knock you off and they drop eggs on your head and stuff like that. But it, it's just different enough to be, you know, distinctive levels. And they're different colours too. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> it, it, it is. Yeah, it's, it's a long way from just being that same pixel on the middle of the screen sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you remember the box art for Atari games? I can remember they were all that sort of same sort of feel to them. What, well, that was painted? They were yeah. exciting. They're... Like Asteroids or Yard's Revenge. It was like, wow, these epic space battles. And when you compare it now, you look at the artwork versus the actual game. It's like, really? But that was so exciting and so good. I remember when the Master System came out, because I was a figure guy, and they sort of had your grid sort of box art. Graph paper. Yeah, and on it was very pixelated versions of the character that's on there. So there was no misleading of what was in the game itself. And that sort of worked. And all the Nintendo from memory, all those games were very cartoony anyway. So you didn't get these almost Star Wars-like posters. Mm. Was it Missile Command? You had, you know, this guy pushing a button on this console that looks really exciting. And all you're doing is using a paddle to move your controller around. But, you know, it, it sort of set a tone for the game. The game couldn't actually give you that. The box art did. And the sort of go, okay, yeah, this is a representation of what we're doing here. And it was just kind of cool. All right, so I've just done a bit of background information here as well. So the Nintendo Entertainment System, the original NES, came out in 1985 in North America. Wow. Uh, Europe in 86 and 87, so it was a little bit later. It would have been 88, yeah. Yeah, it probably was 88 by the time it got out here. But the actual Super Nintendo came out here in... uh, came out in North America in 1991 and Europe in 92, which was based on the Japanese Super Famicom, which came out in 1990. So you can see that by the time the Super Nintendo came out, you'd, you'd jumped miles from what the Atari games look like. Yeah. So, yeah, there, there is a massive jump in just that few short years. So maybe, yeah, the crash maybe did take more of a toll than we think it did for Atari themselves. Yeah. And other competitors kind of made the most of it and, and jumped in the holes that they'd left behind. Yeah, well, I suppose what the crash did was it killed the American game system and Japan filled that market. So there was no... Until the Xbox came out in whatever year that was, that was when America came back into the gaming market. So, yeah. So it's been, it's been good. So the Doco really opened up a lot of memories for me and talking about Atari it's sort of like oh yeah I remember a lot of times because like I said I was young then I, w- <coughs> I wasn't going into the city regularly to play at the pennies or whatever and you could only get 20 cents off mum every now and then if you were lucky enough to go to the fish and chip shop and play Galaga which is freaking awesome still freaking awesome well I just paid five dollars now that I've got Galaga on my Xbox 360 and they had a sale on the Xbox One for Galaga and Pac-Man and I was like well bugger it I'm just going to buy it again <laughs> and the other one that came in that with that was Dig Dug and I don't think I've ever played Dig Dug before, so. and I've looked at it now and thought, well, if that wasn't part of this package, I never would have bought it. But, yeah, so yeah. Um, so going back and thinking of that time, and again, I mean, I didn't have a car. I didn't have a girlfriend. I didn't have, you know, videos. We had videos, and we had an Atari. Yeah. And, and they you, were the two options you had to entertain yourself. And you've mentioned on other shows that you lived on a main road, so your mum didn't even let you go out on your bike or Exactly, and I was terrible on a bike. So, you know, so I played a lot of this stuff at an age when I couldn't do other things, you know? What, what was I doing on a Saturday night? I wasn't out. Yes, I'd play these games. Mm. That was... See, when was the whole Commodore 64 and all that sort of stuff? That would have been a little bit... I reckon bit 86, 87. 
but I never jumped into the home computer market, no, so I, I played didn't. it at Friends. But the concept of loading up a tape, it would take forever. Literally, it would take a half hour or something to load off a audio tape. Yeah. Where a cartridge of a... St- you know... Yeah, it just goes first time, and if it doesn't, you just pull it out and blow on it and stick it back in. Exactly. Line. So, yeah, I never really got into PC... Or it wasn't PC gaming, then it was Commodore, or then computer. Amiga. When they got to floppy disks, sort of like there was a bit more capacity, they could do a little bit more with it, but it just took forever to load, and, just, and it didn't always work. So you'd try again, and you'd try and load it off a tape, and it was just the hardest, most awkward thing, and the games were never worth it in the end. No. Well, I never felt it, but I didn't play it. Well, they probably were a few years later, I think, when, yeah. like, the Amiga and all that sort of stuff came out. Mm. They were getting to the stage where they had good quality games. But, yeah, for me, nothing compared with that Atari of, of its time. No, God, no. And it holds a massive reminiscent place in my heart. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there is going to be the equivalent for kids of today because there is like every kid just grows up and just you know nearly every household's got an Xbox or a PlayStation or a phone or exactly or a phone so the gaming is just in your face everywhere so you're not going to have that everyone gather around let's have a look at this new game because it's just out there yep. so it, it's a shame that today's kids my kids your kids will never have that fondness that we do looking back but, it's different yeah. I mean I don't know I suppose I look at my nephews and they're with their Minecraft and they'll get online talk to each other and play Minecraft and go into each other's Minecraft so they're getting it differently mm. it's just they're going to have their own memories it's just not our memories I miss the whole playing and handing the controller over to someone and doing that for hours mm. and yeah that's what you do as kids you don't have the time now as an adult no but you know they're doing it who knows what they're going to do exactly it's just we don't have the time alrighty well that was A that was A we'll be back in a couple of weeks with B and yeah we're going to throw a couple of suggestions into a hat and we will pull one out who knows what that will be <laughs> see what I did there yeah. but if you have any feedback for us if you want to talk to us about your Atari memories jump on our Facebook facebook.com slash the massive attack podcast you can find us on our website as well which is the amapodcast.podbean.com drop us a line tell us what you thought tell us what games you had when you were a kid and yeah relive the memories of classic Atari yeah alright see you later but thank you very much 